Hey, good day, friends. This is Reiko Zek. I'm the pastor at St. Paul's. Thank you for joining me for the Jesus in the Center one-year Bible podcast. This is day number three, January 3rd, if you're pulling out the reading plan. Today we're going to look at Genesis chapters 5, 6, and 7, focused on Noah and the flood. And then we're going to look at Matthew 3 and 4, Jesus being baptized and thrown out into the wilderness to fight the devil. And then we see Psalm 3, which is feels like the first prayer in the book of Psalms. And we have Proverbs chapter 1, verses 10 to 19, which uh, will encourage us to have wisdom, which includes not getting money in an improper way. So, hey, would you pray with me as we think about some of these readings? Gracious God, open your word to us. Lord, help us to have the hearts that are turned toward you, that we might, like Enoch and Noah, that we might walk with you and therefore be given righteousness. Thank you for sending Jesus to be the one who would uh, be baptized on our behalf and then include us in your uh, washing. We give thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, I'm going to try to be a little bit shorter today because uh, these podcasts are awesome and I want to make them user-friendly for you. Thank you for any feedback that you send. If you have questions about readings or if you have something that you know is coming up that you've always been confused about, well, feel free to ask me and I'll probably be confused right along with you, but I will take the time and I'll try to answer your questions. So today, I just want to point out in uh, Genesis 5, 6, and 7 here, we have stories, and this is what really got me when I first tried to read the Bible. Way back in 1994, maybe 93, I tried to read the Bible, and it made no sense, uh, mostly because we get to sections like this, and you have so-and-so fathered so-and-so. Well, Genesis 5 starts that way, and of course, it's not all the genealogy here, but it is Adam's descendants down to Noah, right? We already had uh, some descendants yesterday, Cain, and Abel, his brother, Cain killed Abel, and so Abel's line is gone, but it does give us some of Cain's line. Here in in chapter 5, there are 10 generations, and I think that's on purpose. Uh, The writer Moses here includes 10 generations. When you get to um, chapter uh, 9, I believe, there's also 10 more generations. So this is kind of a selection of the genealogy. Interesting that... um, into this genealogy, it's going to lead to answer that promise that God gave in, in chapter 3. Remember after the fall that we looked yesterday? Talked about this seed who would come to crush the head of the serpent. And so um, this leads up to Noah. Will Noah be the one? In fact, um, it's kind of interesting here. We'll get to Noah, but in one second, you know, midway, it talks about Enoch, and it has this unusual words. It's it's this phrase, Enoch walked with God in verse 22. And again, in verse 24, Enoch walked with God and he was not, or he was no more for God took him. This is an unusual life. It's only, these words are only used of Enoch and later of of Noah, that they walked with God, right? So it's an unusual phrase and also an unusual death of Enoch. In fact, it's not a death at all. It says, he was not. And uh, that those that phrase is used later of Elijah, you know, the uh, chariots of fire. Um, and uh, 
look over Jordan, what do I see coming forward to carry me home, right? That whole phrase, that, that's in 2 Kings chapter 2 when Elijah is taken, right? These men bypass death, the only ones that we know of. So anyway, we get to, to Noah, and uh, it says that uh, when he was five years old, or he was 500 years old, and, and he fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. But then it has this little blip at the beginning of chapter 6, and it, this part is, can be confusing. There's sons of God, and there's also the daughters of man, uh, or daughters literally of Adam, and who are these? And then there's these Nephilim, right? So we could get into the weeds here, but he, the basic thing is this. There is a conflict between the, the few people who have faith, like Enoch and like Noah, and the, the many, many people who are going after the flesh, going after their own indulgences. Um, many here are going after just the beautiful women, the daughters of man, and um, the, the true faith is being left behind. And then it has this phrase that Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward. Uh, so, but we do see later that all of the people except for Noah's family are wiped out uh, in judgment. So who are these Nephilim who are on the earth then and also afterward? Uh, well, it's translated, it's not translated, it's just the, the Hebrew word Nephilim and that im is just plural. And we don't know what Nephil means except it is, it is sort of described here is that these are mighty men who are of old. Some think these are like giants because uh, that word is, is described that way in Numbers chapter 13. The spies who came back from Canaan said, we saw Nephilim. In other words, they're really big guys. So yeah, maybe they're physically big like Goliath, but maybe also they're like tyrants. They're, they're, they're mighty. They're, uh, they're valiant and not necessarily in a good way. Um, so I don't think that they are angels. If we, Jesus, uh, other places, the whole Bible tells us that mankind and angels are not of the same kind. Uh, when we die, we don't become angels. So that's probably in the, not the right thing. So all, right, all that to say that basically comes down to this. Uh, Moses is describing how evil the world is. And it says that, um, verse 5, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And then it says the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Now, obviously, God does not have a physical heart, right? But it's he is the one who has created mankind. Um, so God is so sad. I, I wrote in my Bible that man's sin is God's sorrow. And I think that's just something to remember that that God sees the, the evil. He sees uh, the, the destruction. He sees the lust. He sees the, the, the disordering of his creation, right? He he created man and woman to be together, and we see here polygamy, and we see uh, 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 men who are mighty stealing women, you know, so on and so on, that we see still in our world. And so God is going to start over. Uh, he's going to wipe them out, but it says that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. It doesn't say he won favor in the sight of the Lord, but that he found it. God had still had favor, even though he wanted to wipe out the world that wasn't the ultimate goal, right? So he found favor 
and he tells Noah to do this crazy thing, make this big basket out of wood, this big box, and make it big enough for all the animals. And then we see here, I, something I learned as I was reading this, that in two different places, one place he says, have two of every kind, and then it, chapter 7 it says, have seven of every kind, and, and why is that? Seven pairs. And uh, as I was reading about this, some scholars think that the second time that he says to bring seven of every clean animals and and so on is that perhaps these animals will be used as sacrifices in the ark. Um, but nonetheless, all of this is miraculous. This whole building of the ark, the, the pouring down of the rain, the um, the destruction of the world is is miraculous. And who knows how this all unfolds. You know, scholars also think that at this time, um, you know, with the, and we'll see this more tomorrow, but the aftermath of the flood is just there's uh, the continents drift apart quickly. There's this huge, uh, you know, emptying of water that there's basically, it's not normal, right, is, is all we could say. It, folks, this ain't normal. Anyway, um, interested on in your thoughts on that. Then we go to Matthew, and we see this water also at work again. Here in Genesis, the water destroys, and, and Noah and his sons, who are not polygamists, by the way, unlike a lot of the rest of the world, Noah and his sons are saved in the ark, and the water washes away the evil, and there will be a new beginning. Here in, in Matthew, Jesus comes also to water. And it's, this water is a place where sin, just like in the flood, there was so much sin that was washed away. Here, Jesus comes, and it's also water that washes away or takes away sin. And Jesus is the one person that John the Baptist sees who does not need to be baptized. He is the only one who does not need to repent because he is holy. He is of God. He is God himself. But he, he says, no, John, we're going to do it, right? And so he says, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus is the ultimate righteous man, the one who is right with God. And he comes and says, no, I will uh, be baptized. I will go into the waters that I will take the place of all sinners in baptism. And that's what Jesus has done. And uh, he went under the water and the Holy Spirit comes and the voice of his father speaks from heaven, kind of like what we saw Psalm 2 yesterday, and says, this is my son. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And I just want to call an audible or a timeout and say, this is exactly what happens to me and you when we are baptized, that our sins are washed away you can see that many places in scripture. And this voice from heaven that was spoken of Jesus is also spoken of you. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter with whom I am well pleased. That is a beautiful gift. So revel in that. Revel in your baptism. And that I'm just going to connect that. Peter himself connects the two things we read today uh, together. He connects the ark and the water that both destroyed and saved uh, of Noah, and then he connects that to baptism. This is this is First Peter, chapter three, verse twenty and twenty-one. He says this: 
when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Did you hear that? Baptism is not your, it's not merely your public profession of faith. It's not merely, and the Bible never says this, uh, an outward sign of an inward reality. No, it is God himself saving. Just as God saved Noah and his family through the ark, Peter says baptism, which corresponds to the ark and the flood, now saves you. Well, how can baptism save you? Well, Peter goes on and says, it's not a removal of dirt from the body, but it is an appeal to God for a good conscience. Another way to translate that, it's a pledge to God of a good conscience. Baptism is the pledge. It is God's promise to you and to me. Well, how? Peter goes on and says, it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who's gone into heaven, is who is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. It's because when we're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are connected, united to Jesus who was baptized with us. We are connected to his death and resurrection. That's Romans chapter 6. Well, we can keep going, but we won't. We then see Jesus thrown out into the wilderness, and every time he's tempted, he, he succeeds where in the past Israel, God's people, had failed. How does he do that? By, uh, by appealing to God's word. And he quotes from Deuteronomy three different times. And um, it's a, a great, not only a great lesson for us, in the fact of, yeah, God can help us to um, overcome temptations, right? 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there's no temptation that has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will allow you to overcome the temptation, right? He will provide the way of escape. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. So that's one. Yes, we can also flee from temptation. We'll see that with Joseph when we get in Genesis. But there's also this, that Jesus himself succeeded where Israel failed, where we fail. And so we plead, plead the word of Jesus, Jesus who succeeded where we have not. So I think that's part of it too, is that he obeyed where the rest of the world did not. Uh, he is our ark, right? Well, that's good stuff. So Psalm, Psalm 3, I love this one. This is the uh, one, first one that feels like a prayer, the other is feel like they are teaching us uh, to meditate on God's word. They are teaching us that there is a king uh, that God will install and uh, we need to, to trust in that king. When we get to Psalm 3, we are crying out to the Lord himself, Oh Lord, how many are my foes? And it's just a beautiful thing. Hope you uh, can revel in it. It does, it ends with salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to Jesus Christ. Your blessing be on your people. At some time, we'll talk about these hard things to pray, like, Arise, O Lord, this is verse 7, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. This is exactly what happened in the flood, and this is what will happen at the last day. And so, it, God is just, and if he is not just, the whole world is gone, and we'll go to hell, um, and we will... And if we don't, we'll live here on earth in an unjust, dark world. But that is not God's will. God's will is to destroy evil. 
And we pray that he destroys the evil in us, but yet he then saves us, which is what verse 8 says, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. So be his people. He has not come to, this is my favorite verse in the Bible, John 3.17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but rather that the world should be saved through him. Thanks be to God. And we'll end with Proverbs 1, verse 10. My son, we could say my daughter, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Oh Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for your good word that comes to us today. The warning that we see in the flood, but the salvation that we see in you going under the waters for us. The promise that we are united to you in baptism, that it is a pledge to you for a good conscience. Thank you for your word that you you save us and that you can help us to flee from temptation. Thank you that you are the one who has succeeded where we fail. Lord, give us a great day. Give us a day where we can revel in your salvation and wrestle with, as you do, the, the pain of this world uh, that does not know you and does not want to know you. But Lord, intervene as we see you doing in your scriptures. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thank you all for joining me on this, this beautiful day that God has made. Have a great one and uh, go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.